tomorrow, the entire globe, the whole world is going to focus on this event of Christmas. Everything is pretty much going to be set aside for a 24-hour period while we celebrate, right? Any of you got uh, plans for uh, lobster on the barbie or a ham or a, a, you know, turkey? Or are you all just having hot dogs? <laughs> oh, okay, we all, we're all going to celebrate tomorrow. We're looking forward to it. And it amazes me that an event that happened a little over 2,000 years ago now still has such an impact on the planet. And a lot of people might ask the question, why? Why why is it? How come? What is so special about Christmas? I mean, for more than 2,000 years now, people around the world have been observing it with traditions and practices that are both religious as well as secular in, in nature. But is it just a day for giving gifts, you know, uh, decorating a Christmas tree, putting up your lights, uh, turning them on, turn on the lights, turn on the lights? Is it just a day for attending church, you know, um, maybe sharing meals with family and and, and friends and waiting for that, that, that guy, what's his name? Santa, Santa Claus, Father Christmas in some traditions, waiting for him to arrive, you know, is Christmas Day... Just the anniversary of the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, who, you know, some spiritual leader who was born in the Middle East a long, long time ago, whose teachings form the basis of the Christian faith. Is that it? I mean, who is Jesus? Why is he so central to Christmas? How is it that the whole world marks history and dates and time using Jesus Christ as a reference point? You know, whether you use A.D. and B.C. or B.C.E. and C.E., you can't get away from Jesus. His birth split history. Well, I think some of the answers to these questions lie in a beautiful passage of Scripture in uh, the book of Philippians or a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And we're going to look at chapter 2, a part of chapter 2 this morning, because it gives a great explanation in the Bible of who Jesus is and what he came to do. So we're going to read from verses 5 to 11. Now, let me just point out that in this chapter, in this portion of this chapter, Paul is asking us to ponder the humility of Jesus so that we can understand it and so that we can live it out. But here's what he says in in this passage of Scripture. He says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Okay, so he's covered this bit about we need to be like Jesus. But then he goes on over here and he says, Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, as something to hold on to, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him even more highly, and gave him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name given to Jesus, every knee should bend, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. It's an amazing passage of Scripture, this. You know, when, when, when man landed on the moon, it was pretty big news. You know, when they take, took those first few steps on the moon, that was huge news for the planet. But what Paul's telling us here is even bigger news. Because what he's telling us is that God came to earth. God came to earth. Jesus Christ, who is God himself, came to earth. There are so many people around today who say that, you know, Jesus, you know, he was a great man, a great historical figure. Some people will say that he, he was even a prophet. But repeatedly, the writers of Scripture record Jesus saying that he is God. He repeatedly said, I am God. And in this passage that we've just read, the Bible tells us that Jesus was in the form of God. That means that Jesus shared in the divine nature, that he was equal with God by nature. In other words, he's always been there. He's always been there since before creation. Here's what we read in Colossians chapter 1. He is the image, talking about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him... All things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is the exact likeness, we read here, of the unseen God. The exact likeness of the unseen God. Here's what the Gospel of John tells us in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And when John's talking about the Word over here, he's talking about the Logos. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And without Him, not one thing has come into being. What has come into being in Him was life. And the life was the light of all people. That light, shines, that light of all people shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So Jesus is the Word over here. He is the Word of God. You know, Jesus would say things like this. He would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, he, he was saying, if you've seen me, you've seen God. So, if Jesus really is God, and God came to earth, then tomorrow, Christmas, is a really, really important event in history. A really important event. Why? Because God came to earth. God came to earth. That's quite a thing to get your head around. It's quite a thing to, 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 to like settle in your heart. And of all the ways that God chooses to reveal himself, he does it by becoming one of us. He does it by becoming a human being. Philippians 2 tells us that he became like men and was born a human being, like us. And so the reality of Christmas is that Jesus was a real person, flesh and blood, hair and bones. He was a real person, not a myth, not a fable, not a nice story. The reality is that God came to earth 
and God became a man. Why? Why? Why did he reach out? I mean, I guess if God wanted to communicate with dogs, he could have come as a dog. If God wanted to communicate with the birds, he might have come as a bird. The reason for the incarnation is that God wanted to communicate with us. God wanted to communicate with people. So he became a person. God came to earth, but he came as a human being. He came as a person like us. He was born like us. The scripture says he made himself nothing. He gave up everything, all the entitlements of heaven. He gave it up and he became like us, born into this world like billions of babies are born. Except that the whole of history rested in the life of this fragile infant. You know, it, 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 must, have, it must have blown the minds of the angels. Like, what is God doing? What is he doing? You know, no flashy entrance, you know, to let the world know that he's there. No, he comes in, in the middle of the night to a stable in, in, in Bethlehem. Still 100% God, but now also 100% man. God in human form, born like us. He grew up like we do. You know, he, um, he had growth spurts and he matured just like we do. He didn't parade the fact that he was God. Uh, he was a, a human being and, and he was... Um, going through the experience of what it means to be human. So he grew up like us. He, he grew up in a Jewish household. He learned how to become a carpenter as a young man. He, he was a real flesh and blood human. He was tempted like we tempted. You know, Jesus experienced the same pressures that you and I do, the same temptations and desires, the same temptations to, to lie and steal and, you know, cheat. And I don't think he was tempted to kill. But he has had the same drives as us. He, he just never gave in to any of that. He was sinless, without sin. He suffered like us. He felt pain and disappointment. He got tired and fatigued. He, he, he felt lonely at times. He, he was grieved. He cried. He was human. He was God, but he became man. And he did it to invite us to become like him. Jesus became what we are so that we can become what he is. That's the reality of Christmas. Now, Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus didn't stay in a crib. He, wasn't, he, was, he didn't remain the little baby Jesus. He didn't stay in that manger. No, he grew up and he went to the cross voluntarily to lay down his life for us. And again, you know, this morning we might ask why. Because he was God. He didn't have to. He could have called down 10,000 angels to stop the process. He did not have to go to the cross. So why did he allow it? Why did he allow it? Well, the Bible says he did it for two reasons. The first was to demonstrate God's love. He did it to demonstrate God's love. Here's what we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. That God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. He went to that cross out of love. His motivation was love. If you want to know how much God loves you, just take a look at the cross. 
The Bible says that greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And you know, a lot of people might give their life for a friend or, or for a family member or for their children. But the Bible says that God gave his life for us when we were still rejecting him. Before we even knew him, before we were even born, he gave his life for us. That's love. That's the reason for Christmas. For God to demonstrate his love for you and for me. So the first reason why he went to that cross was out of love. The second reason why Jesus went to the cross was to deal with our sin. Here's what the Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2. It says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. So somehow what he did a little over 2,000 years ago can make a difference in my life right now. I can be forgiven for every wrong thing that I have ever done and everything that I will ever do that's wrong. That's the reason for Christmas. The angels said this in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Lindsay just read it to us this morning. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. To you is born this day a Savior. You know, I've never, I've never, I'm not a fantastic swimmer. I've never trained to be a lifeguard, you know. But from what I understand about how they train lifeguards, if there's somebody out beyond the breakers in the ocean and they, they're in trouble and they're about to drown, um, they teach the lifeguard when they swim out to them and get to them not to grab a hold of them immediately. Right? They, they tell them to tread water a little bit and, and to wait because uh, if that person starts to panic, they might just grab onto you and, and you will, you'll both go under, right? Um, and so you've got to wait until they calm down or, or until they're kind of half drowned and limp. And then, you know, you, you kind of grab hold of them and paddle back to the shore to, to save their life. Now, the reason why I'm telling you that is that as long as a person is trying to save themselves, you cannot save them. As long as, as, long as someone's trying to save themselves, you cannot save them. Jesus came to be the savior of the world. But as long as you're there thinking, okay, I don't really need saving. If, you, if that's what's going through your mind when you think about a Savior, I don't really need saving. Let me tell you something. You are the person in the most danger. Just like that person out in the ocean. You're in the most danger. The person who realizes that they need a Savior is going to be much more open to receiving a Savior. And if you don't need a Savior or you don't think you need a Savior... I'd encourage you to really take some time to think about what I'm saying this morning, to think about what this ancient book has to say. Because if you didn't need a Savior, God would not have wasted all the effort to send one. The very fact that Jesus Christ came to earth, gave up the glory of heaven, became a human being, born as a little baby, grew up, died on a cross, was raised at Easter, means that you need everything that he has to offer. God would not waste all that energy. The relevance of Christmas is that God came to earth. But he, he came as a man, real flesh and blood, experienced the same things that we have, problems, tears, emotions, so that he can understand exactly how we are, so that he can communicate with us 
and so that we can look at him and know what God is like. That's the reality. And the reason is to show us how much he loves us. You know, salvation is about freedom. Salvation is about freedom from guilt, freedom from worry, freedom from fear. Salvation is about freedom from purposelessness in life. It's about freedom to live the way God meant for you and I to live so that our eternity can be certain, so that our eternity can be assured. You won't take a final breath and, and, and that'll be it. That's not the end of the story. We need to think outside of the realm of the tangible. Let's just quickly read those verses, uh, verses 9 to 11 from Philippians 2 again. It says, Therefore, so he died and he went to the cross. And then Paul says, Therefore, God exalted him even more highly and gave him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name given to Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, the Bible says all throughout the Scriptures that those who humble themselves will be lifted up. And those who lift themselves up with pride will be humbled. And because Jesus humbled himself and went to the cross, what we're seeing over here is that God does two things. The first thing that he does is he gives Jesus the place of highest honor. He's honored above all else. And the second thing that God does is he gives Jesus a new name. You know, the name Jesus in New Testament times was a very common name. It was like John or Jack. You know, we've got lots of Johns and Jacks around. We've got a Jack in our church and a couple of Johns. My second name's John. John and Jack, very common names. That was the case with Jesus in, the New, in, in New Testament times. Uh, that name was a very common name. It means uh, salvation is of the Lord. That's what the name means. In the Greek, the word is Joshua. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua, right? And so when you read the Bible, they always had to distinguish, like, which Jesus they're speaking to. That's why they say Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, that Jesus. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I know who you're talking about. When he was born, he was given many names. He was given the name Wonderful, you know, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But the name that he was given as a result of going to the cross for us is Lord. Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now, a lot of people don't always understand what the meaning of that word is, Lord. That word Lord means master. It means ruler. It means number one. It means Mr. Big. That's what that word means. It means the one in control, total sovereign, king. And over 600 times in the New Testament, you find the Bible calling Jesus Lord. Now, Lord, in the time that Jesus walked on the earth, was a word that they used for Caesar, the emperor of Rome. That was what they called the emperor. They called him Lord. The emperor of the Roman Empire was treated as a god. And Romans would worship him. They would worship the emperor. They would worship Caesar. The Romans would call Caesar Lord. 
That's what they would do. They would say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. He's, he's, he's in, it's kind of like the Second World War. You'd have that terminology, Heil Hitler, like he's the great one. That's what was going on in the Roman Empire. Caesar is Lord. And it became a test of loyalty in the Roman Empire. If you were loyal to the Caesar, you would say that Caesar is Lord. You would worship him. But you know, the early Christians refused to say that. They refused to say that Caesar is Lord. They would say, no, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And you know what happened to many of those early Christians when they refused to say Caesar is Lord and instead say, would say Jesus is Lord? Do you know what happened to them? They lost their lives. They were thrown to the lions. They were, they were, they were given to uh, the, the games to fight gladiators. Many of them simply lost their lives because of one little phrase. Jesus is Lord. What does it mean to say Jesus is Lord? What does it mean? When I say that Jesus is Lord, it means that I acknowledge that he really is God. That he really is God. That he's more than just a man. He's more than just a prophet. That he really is God. He is the Lord. And when I say Jesus is Lord, it's a test of my commitment to Him. It's a test of my commitment to Him. When I say Jesus is Lord, it means that I believe that He has everything under control. Because Jesus is God. And so Jesus has everything under control. To say Jesus is Lord is a statement of comfort and encouragement. Because when things look bleak, which they do when you look around the globe right now, I can still say Jesus is Lord because I know ultimately He's got everything under control. I may not see it given everything that happens in this world, but Jesus is Lord. And I recognize the fact that He has everything under control. There's nothing that escapes His care, nothing that escapes His concern because He is Lord. To say Jesus is Lord is to say that I don't actually know what 2024 is going to hold, but I do know this, I know who holds the future. Because Jesus is Lord. To say that Jesus is Lord means that I commit all of my life to Him. That I say, Lord, you call the shots in my life because you are God. You came to earth. You died for me. You rose again. And because you've done these things, you have the right to determine what's right in my life and to direct me. And I'm going to seek to live according to your plans. Jesus is Lord. And Lord is not a word that we should be flippant with. This is what Romans 10 verse 9 tells us. It says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a believer? What does it mean to be saved? It means to say, Jesus is my Lord. I acknowledge the fact that He is God. He alone is God. And I believe that He has everything under control. And so I commit my everything to Him. Philippians tells us that one day, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess what God has known throughout the ages. The truth of all truth. That Jesus is Lord. 
One day, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and He will be given His due honor. And all of the arrogance of this world in which we live, the arrogance of this culture that puts itself up against Christ, all of the denial, all of the pseudo-scientific and psychological and philosophical arguments that are put up against the existence of God, that are put up against Christ Jesus, it's going to fall away. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. On judgment day, everyone is going to acknowledge that that is true. Every nationality, every male, every female, every religion is going to say, Jesus is Lord. All of the politicians are going to say, Jesus is Lord. All of the rock stars, all of the pop stars are going to say, Jesus is Lord. All of the scientists, the professors, the businessmen, the homemakers, everyone's going to say, Jesus is Lord. Everyone on the planet will admit it. Everyone who's ever lived, everyone who's yet to live will admit it. And the issue this Christmas time is not that you will, you know, not that you admit that Jesus is Lord, because you will one day. The issue this Christmas time is simply when. When. You're either going to admit it in love and honor and respect now, or you'll admit it later. And find out that you've been wrong. That you've made a very big mistake with your life. Because every knee and every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is what makes Christmas so special. You know, the greatest need that Christians have today, I think, is the need to rediscover that phrase. To rediscover that phrase. It's a phrase that's been used as a test for believers for centuries. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And you might look around your life and think, well, how can that be? It doesn't look like the way of God is succeeding in any way. But let me tell you something this morning. Jesus is still Lord. You might be in a situation now where you're thinking, I can't cope with this anymore. There's too much pressure. Let me remind you, as a Christian, Jesus is Lord. You may think that your problems are too great. You might think that you can't handle them. Jesus is Lord. Circumstances might pile up against you. People might make it difficult for you. But Jesus is Lord. So I want to remind you this Christmas time to say it again and again, to make it a mantra in your life. When you're discouraged, Jesus is Lord. When you're tired, Jesus is Lord. When you're worried, Jesus is Lord. When you're afraid, Jesus is Lord. Say it when you don't think you can go on. Jesus is Lord. Saying it when, say it when you're grieving. Somebody's died and you don't know why. Jesus is Lord. Say it when you're lonely. Jesus is Lord. And say it at Christmas time. Make it the theme of your life. Because that is what it means to be a believer. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm going to leave that with you this morning. But I want to encourage every believer here this Christmas time to remind yourself that this is not just about a little baby that got born. This is about Almighty God who has come so that you can know Him out of His love for you and so that you can come to the realization that He alone is Lord. Amen.